Are you familiar with the concept of ghosting? This isn't, uh, you know, an 80s, not to be confused with the, the 80s uh, classic ghost busting, uh, nor with the process of getting older and grayer, uh, which is a remark that I'm increasingly resembling. But it's a, it's a phenomenon that occurs in relationships in our culture, and uh, it's now even... Uh, The word itself has a definition in the Oxford Dictionary. Take a look. Ghosting is the practice of ending a personal relationship with someone by suddenly and without explanation withdrawing from all communication. So this is something that has happened in relationships, my guess is, as long as there's been relationships. Uh, Even in my family's history, one of my uncles uh, one day just got up and and left and was not heard from again for 30 years. And then he showed back up, and I found out I had another uncle. That was cool. But uh, it's increased in our uh, social media, technologically driven age, and with the rise of dating apps and, and just uh, ch- cultural changes around communication expectations, this is a process, uh, a reality in which people will just cut off communication with somebody for one reason or another. And I'm embarrassed to say I'm guilty of having ghosted someone before and Maybe you are too, and that's okay. We're all here together. But it raises this question. Um, what, what do you say when a friend walks away? I, in, in, in the year 2020, it was a hard year for most everyone, uh, but a, a phenomenon happened during that time when people just stopped being in relationship with other people. They kind of used the pandemic and, and, and some of the, you know, stay-at-home stuff as an excuse to, like, distance in relationship. And I had two friends, two really close friends, who ghosted me. Like, really close friends. It's been a really painful thing, and I've tried to reach out and repair the relationship and see what's gone on, and over the last uh, three years, this, the, the, the reality has just sort of taken hold. And uh, the, the crazy thing is uh, that after not seeing both of these people for th- the last three years, I ran into both of them last week. And... And so I've come up with, I come up against this question, what do you say to a friend who has walked away? And I'm, you know, I won't say publicly and out loud the things that came to my mind to say in, that, in those moments, but I'm a human being just like you. I experience hurt and heartache, the shame of, of feeling rejected, so what do you say to a friend who's walked away? And what's fascinating is this isn't, 
just an experience that is unique to us. This is actually something that happened to Jesus himself. Jesus' 12 closest friends. At the, in the hour of Jesus' greatest need, all ghosted him. They walked away. They distanced themselves from him. They disappeared. And then it raises the question, well, what did Jesus do in that moment? What does Jesus say when his friends walk away? Because the reality is for you and for me, not only are there going to be people in our lives who walk away from us, but to varying degrees, each of us are going to walk away from relationship with Jesus. And this ultimately is what the Bible, this is the biblical concept and definition of sin. It's not simply just some moral law that has been broken. It's a, it's a relational dynamic. It's like being ghosted or ghosting someone else. That is what sin is in. <laughs> We're experimenting with strobe lights. If you want to come in to the leadership quarterly, we'll explain more. So we're in the middle of this series called Jesus Essentials, where we're looking at uh, this claim when we say Jesus is the center of our faith. What exactly is in that center? What are the uh, essential elements of of following Jesus and in sort of Christian faith and practice? What is vital? What is essential? What matters most? What do we need to cling to? So two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God is love. That is the, the bedrock foundation for what it means to follow Jesus. And then last week, uh, Pastor Brad led us through a discussion on, on what it means that Jesus is Lord. And today we're going to look at this idea that the Holy Spirit empowers. And we're going to see how this idea that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the love that exists as God, between the Father and the Son, what this has to do, (laughs) what does the Holy Ghost have to do with being ghosted? (laughs) We could put it like that. And so we're going to look at this story of, uh, of Jesus to understand, okay, when we say the Holy Spirit empowers, well, who is the Holy Spirit and who does the Holy Spirit empower? And what does the Holy Spirit empower the who to do, and with what does the Holy Spirit empower you and me? So we're going to look at this story from John chapter 20. This is a biography of Jesus' life, and uh, this story comes on resurrection night. So this is the day that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and his disciples have all scattered. A couple of them came running early that morning to see that the tomb was empty, but there was all sorts of confusion and chaos surrounding what exactly was happening. Had Jesus' body been stolen, or is there something else going on here? And so uh, Jesus' uh, ten 
10 of Jesus' disciples, uh, Judas uh, was not there existentially, and uh, Thomas, another one of the disciples, was just not, he was out on his own. And so there are 10 disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, apprentices, who are all gathered together in this room where the door is locked, and they're afraid that the same fate that has befallen their rabbi, their teacher, is going to come on to them. And so this is part of the reason why they have distanced themselves from Jesus. It was an act of self-preservation because they knew what happened to Jesus. He was killed on a cross and they didn't want to go through that same fate themselves. And so they're huddled in this room and we pick up here, John chapter 20, uh, starting to look at 19 and 20. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. <laughs> so, ten people are huddled in a tiny room with the door locked. And the resurrected Jesus just enters, he doesn't even knock. <laughs> He just shows up in this room. And this is a fascinating subject to explore on a different day, but the point is that Jesus appears. He's there in the room with the disciples who weren't there. And he says, peace. And he says, peace, in all likelihood, because that was not the vibe in the room in that moment. So they're freaking out. They don't know what's going on. And so, verse 20, after he said peace, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side, his hands with the wounds from the nail that hung him to the cross, the wound in his side from the spear that pierced him. They saw him. They heard his voice. They smelled his breath. They felt his presence. And Jesus shows up. Jesus appears to his disciples. Jesus appears with forgiveness to those who've disappeared with shame. Now you see what's happening in this, in this moment, in this story, happens to us all the time. This is sort of a microcosm of the human condition. That just like the disciples who had disappeared, who had ghosted Jesus, and we're all huddled together in fear of the Jewish leaders and, and dealing with their own shame of this person who was the very embodiment of love to them, this person who they even claimed and professed that they would never abandon or forsake, and they did. He shows up and confronts them with the reality and the truth of their brokenness. He shows the marks on his body he has the receipts, so to speak, of the, the impact that some of this has had on him. The cost that Jesus was willing to bear 
to take on our fear and our shame so that we might never walk away from Jesus again. And fear and shame are two dynamics in life on the whole, but within the spiritual life in particular, that are the indicators, the sort of dashboard indicators that we are in need of something. And that something is forgiveness. That we have a broken and distorted and fractured and bent relationship with God in, in one way or another, and over time, we walk away from God. We distance ourselves from being in relationship with Jesus. We say being in relationship with something else or someone else is more important than being in relationship with the provider and giver of life and all good gifts. We think being in relationship with God in some way is going to hold us back from the life that we think we want to live. We think that following Jesus is actually a process by which happiness and joy are going to be withheld from us, and so we walk away to try and find it somewhere else. And the result of that is what the Bible calls sin, the fracturing of shalom, the wholeness, the goodness, the flourishing, the way things ought to be as God created and intended it to be. When we walk away from God, we walk into chaos and destruction, both internally and with around us in the world. And the result of that is we live in fear of the world outside and shame of the world within. And this is what, we, what, what is in the heart of every human being who has ever lived, you and me included. We swim in fear and shame. We're afraid of what the doctor is going to say when he walks back into that room with our test results. We're afraid of the shame that we're going to feel if we sat down across a table from that person who we've walked away from. We live in shame of some of the decisions that we've made to try and secure our own futures by our own means and with our own resources. And so we huddle together behind the locked doors of self-defensiveness, of anger, of hurt. And it's in these places, it's in this condition that Jesus, who is love, that Jesus, who is the risen Lord of the new creation, appears. And he says, I come in peace. I come in peace. Peace be with you. This war, this battle against fear and shame over. It's over. But what does this mean? Well, Jesus invites us to receive this reality, this reality of peace, that in Jesus, in relationship with Jesus, this broken, fractured, bent, distorted relationship that we have with God is made right. That Jesus is saying, Peace. You have peace with God because of the work that I have done in my life and death and resurrection. I have accomplished 
The peace that you are looking for, it is to be found in me. And we receive this peace. It's not something that we achieve. It's something that we receive as a gift. We receive this through the process of forgiveness. Forgiveness is declared into the world, but it is only those who receive that gift, who experience its fruit. And so Jesus says, here, enter into this process of forgiveness, of repentance, of returning into relationship with me. And when we think about forgiveness, oftentimes, as I, as I myself think about it, or as I uh, talk about it in relationship uh, with others, in, in conversation with others, most of the time, I think we end up thinking about forgiveness and needing forgiveness and asking for forgiveness as something that's more like offering excuses for ourselves to God. And C.S. Lewis picked up on this idea of, of, of delineating between offering excuses and receiving forgiveness. He writes this, The trouble is that what we call asking God's forgiveness very often really consists in asking God to accept our excuses. What leads us into this mistake is the fact that there usually is some amount of excuse, some extenuating circumstance. We are so very anxious to point these things out to God and to ourselves that we are apt to forget the very important thing that is the bit left over beyond excuses. The bit which excuses don't cover. The bit which is inexcusable. But not, thank God, unforgivable. And if we forget this, we shall go away imagining that we have repented and been forgiven when all that has really happened is that we have satisfied ourselves with our own excuses. Now, we live in a cultural moment. Some of us have grown up within the church, within a particular cultural moment, where even the subject of forgiveness itself is a topic that is fueled by disempowerment. It's one that's riddled with fear and shame rather than freedom and promise. And that's not the, t the, the, the fear and shame sort of forgiveness is not the type of forgiveness that Jesus is talking about or comes to offer. That often, that's, I think that's why we're so quick to come up with excuses. But when we really come to see the promise and the possibility and the power of forgiveness that Jesus comes to offer, that, is, that displaces our fear and shame, we will do everything within our power to open up ourselves to that gift because in receiving it is true empowerment, is true freedom, is the real and tangible possibility of actively 
progressing in the life of faith and following Jesus. Because if we can experience this gift, it will begin to transform us from the inside out in such a way that we begin to live like Jesus and do what Jesus did in our very own life. Because the things that were holding us down and holding us back, we have been set free from. This is the very promise of the good news of Jesus. And that the power of this story not only secures our future, but it redeems our past. The cross of Christ reaches all the way back into our past to break the chains that bind us to the things that we have done. Contrary to our cultural moment, you are not the worst thing that you have ever done. You are the most loving thing that Jesus has ever done, which was forgive you. And to stand in the love of God and say, I need this gift is not disempowering. It's true freedom. And Jesus continues, verse 21. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. He reiterates, he doubles down in the chaos and the confusion of the moment. He wants to make sure that this one thing is not lost among his disciples. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, as God has sent me into the world, not to condemn it, but to love it, forgive it. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The very things that I was about, am about in my life, the things that you walked around and saw me do for approximately three years, now it's your turn. Healing, forgiveness, grace, miracles, all of those things are now yours by grace through faith and trusting the promise of Jesus. And with that, Jesus took in a deep breath and breathed it on them. Which is a strange thing to do. (laughs) Especially when you've been dead for three days. Like, that's borderline offensive. (laughs) But when when we see what's happening underneath the surface here, we see the power of what the Holy Spirit is and does. Jesus is breathing the Holy Spirit on them in a way that rhymes with what happens at the very beginning of the story. In Genesis 1, when God forms Adam and Eve out of the dust of the earth, he takes them and (sighs) breathes life into them and they become living beings. And so when Jesus comes to his disciples who are living in the death of fear and shame and he (sighs) breathes on them, there is a new creation. There is new life. There is new hope. There is new power. There is new possibility. There is a new identity. There is a new destiny. And all you have to do is breathe it in. And with this, we see the most paradoxical thing. Contrary to popular opinion, contrary to popular Christian opinion, 
what we see here is that the Holy Spirit empowers unholy people. The Holy Spirit is not a gift for the spiritual superstars, the ones who get it all right all of the time. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes to those in need. To receive the gift is to admit the need. And the power of this promise is that it's found and received when we admit that it's what we need. And how does the Spirit, what, in, in what Jesus says, he continues, receive the Holy Spirit, and if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so we, we see th- three things quickly that the Spirit empowers Jesus' followers with. And the first that we've already seen is peace. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have waged peace against the powers of sin, death, and evil and have restored us to the possibility of right relationship with God and with others and with the whole of creation. And so when we are in relationship with Jesus, we are in relationship with peace. We can have true and lasting eternal peace that begins now and goes on forever. So Jesus has declared this peace. It just exists. It's here for you. Just reach out and receive it, ask for it. We need the peace of Christ. But then Jesus also equips and empowers his followers with purpose. As the Father has sent me into the world, so I send you. This is the restoration of the human vocation, of what it means to be human beings who bear God's image, who reflect God's love to the world, who proclaim the reality that Jesus is Lord, and that All of this is headed to a place where God in love is going to redeem and renew and reconcile everything and everyone. And we, as followers of Jesus, get to participate in that announcement by declaring forgiveness. This is the third thing that Jesus gives. It's a sense of power. And it's not power as the distorted outside of relationship with God sort of power that we are familiar with in our world. It's the power for you and for the world to become what God has always dreamed it can become through the power of forgiveness, by receiving that yourself and by extending it to others. And How do we receive this gift? How do we receive this gift so that we can be empowered to these three tasks? The theologian Daniel Migliori helps us understand in a way, because the Holy Spirit is a confusing sort of relationship to be in. It's like the wind. We know it when it's here, we are confused about it when it's gone. So Daniel Migliori says this, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that Christ and his reconciling activity are made present to believers. By bearing witness to Christ and representing him, by bringing Christ into the present, the Spirit spans the gap between the then and there and the here and now. By the work of the Spirit, the Christ attested in Scripture and proclaimed in the church does not remain a mere object outside us or a distant event of the past from which we are separated by space and time. 
Jesus is not merely a memory of someone long gone or someone who may arrive in the future. He is present here and now to us in the power of the Spirit. And so one way that we can understand this is what happens to the disciples when the resurrected Jesus appears to them is the very same thing that happens to us here and now in the power of the Spirit. That Jesus is here. And Jesus is doing now what Jesus did then, is proclaiming peace and giving you purpose and equipping you with power to do what Jesus has called you and created you to do. This is the power that the Holy Spirit offers. And so I can't help but imagine, my friends, like what if, what would happen if we stepped into this as a community? I think too often the church ends up just like the disciples huddled in a room that's behind locked doors. And Jesus' whole purpose in coming to them and proclaiming peace and forgiveness is sending them. And so what if we did something similar? What if we understood this and saw this with clarity that in our increasingly post-Christian world, a world that has walked away from God, a culture that has tried to create distance from God for, quite frankly, a number of very understandable reasons. What if rather than huddling together in fear or huddling together in self-righteousness or huddling together because we think that these are the only types of people that God wants us to be in relationship with, rather than huddling together What if we received this gift to go out into the world and proclaim to the lost, to the least, to the left out, to the lonely, peace. We come in peace. And so we want to show up to you in the same ways that Jesus has showed up to us. Because in our showing up to you, in the power of the Holy Spirit is Jesus himself showing up to you. So how do we do this? A first step, if you haven't, is to receive the Spirit's forgiveness. Maybe you're here today and this is something that's new. Maybe it's something that you haven't quite felt is something that you've needed. And so The gift remains on offer, but you have to step forward and say, I need that. I need that forgiveness. And if that's you, I invite you to come forward at the end of our time together and pray up here with with one of our pastors. Second, extend the Spirit's forgiveness. Is there somebody who's walked away from you or somebody that you've walked away from that you need to offer or ask for their forgiveness. This is what the Spirit, and when you're thinking, I don't know if I can do that. This is what the Spirit of Jesus empowers us to do.
to step into these conversations, to walk through walls of division and hostility so that we can ask for forgiveness or offer it to others. And then finally, to whom can you show up? Just like Jesus shows up to the disciples, just like Jesus shows up for you and for me, who needs you to show up as a reminder that God is with them? Who in your life is broken or hurting or doubting or disillusioned or confused in some way? Who needs you to show up? Ask the Spirit to empower you. And we'll end with this. This is a prayer. We've, we've prayed it together before. But it comes from uh, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, who um, is the patron saint of the San Francisco Giants. And this is his most famous prayer. And so, uh, and I think it gives uh, language and shape to Uh, the task that Jesus has given us to be sent into the world as he has been sent by the Father in love for the sake of redemption and renewal. So I invite you to stand with me. I invite uh, musicians to come forward. Uh, But as we pray this, I just invite you to hold out your hands in a posture of need, in a posture of requesting, of asking. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, pray this with me. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.